Hello and welcome to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. I'm your host, Wyndham Lewis. I'm here with my brother, Jeremy Sartori. It is a Brother, Brother podcast. And today we are knocking the dust off our microphones. We took a month off for the first time in the history of Brother, 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 but we are back. And uh, we are back with a, uh, with a favorite of yours, Jeremy. The, uh, and truth be told, a, a favorite of mine as well, but I think a, a much more, uh, an album that you love on a, on a much deeper level than I do. And that is It's a Shame About Ray by the Lemonheads, which celebrated its 30th birthday recently. Um, that in and of itself seems really weird. It does seem very weird. I, uh, yeah, I actually talked about this record, I think in our first year of doing the pod, we did a uh, Thanksgiving special called Comfort Food, where we talked about albums that we can sort of just pop on and listen to and then, uh, bring us comfort. And it's an album that I don't really care what other people think about, um, nor, uh, do I try and sort of proselytize as something everybody should love. But I will say that uh, on its 30th anniversary, It's a Shame About Ray has gotten a little bit of buzz and gotten, um, you know, some some chatter. Some reassessments. The, yeah, so in the music world. And, you know, today I'm, I'm going to hijack the episode a little bit. Obviously, um, when chime in and, and chat, you know, we'll, we'll make it conversational. But <clears throat> um, I recently bought the 30-year anniversary vinyl. I listened to it a bunch. And I just started to think about the Lemonheads kind of in context of my youth. Um, 30 years ago, I was uh, 16, right? No, yes, 15, going on 16. So um, so it was, you know, definitely high school. This was a band that didn't really fit kind of the, the criteria of what was going on um, post-Nirvana. It was a little bubbly, a little... Evan Dando uh, is the lead singer. And, and just to give a little bit of history, Wynn and I, neither of us are from Boston. Um, we call Boston, both of us call Boston home currently. And uh, we both have done stints here and had family here. So it's always been a place that, you know, you sort of root for the home team. And, and the Lemonheads were a Boston band, you know, in that late 80s. They came up in the sort of punk scene. And they weren't the best by any means. You know, there was bands like throwing muses the pixies you may have heard of um when you could dump Richard truck Burma. you can name some others yeah, yeah. uh boat la volta and uh these guys were kind of the bratty you know i think uh upper middle class well i guess most punks were but these guys were definitely of the the back bay the sort of brahmin boston um and it was a trio the, who sorry go ahead they were out they, they were i mean it, as i recall they were kind of a harvard band except that Evan Dano didn't go to Harvard. Right, yeah. I mean, well, they actually met in high school, so they had a kind of a stint with... There's a record label here called Tang Records, you may remember, that was more of a hardcore label. Mm -hmm. And um, they did a... So it's kind of two iterations of the band. One with, um, you know, Evan Dando, Ben Dealey, and Jesse Peretz, who's gone on to, you know, be a pretty successful uh, director. And they all went to the Commonwealth High School here in in Boston. and they did album, the albums Hate Your Friends, Creator, Lick, and then um, Lovely. That was kind of the first run. And then Evan kind of jumped, or Evan quit the band, came back as a drummer briefly, and then Ben quit the band, and it became Evan Dando's band. And that's what you know sort of spawned the next run, which was a 
totally different lineup. People that you actually knew at the time, um, you know, having lived here. But that's where you had It's a Shame About Ray, Come On, Feel the Lemonheads, and eventually Car Button Cloth when uh, Evan was sober enough to, to do it. But I think one thing that was notable on those early albums was just that, you know, Ben, ben Daly, you know, sort of had the bratty, punky, you know, kind of teen angst thing going. Evan Dando just always had a knack for pop and, and for, you know, uh, melody. That was a, a little beyond his peers, I would say, and, and uh, in a laissez-faire kind of fuck it way that um, was pretty endearing. And I think, you know, got a little bit of buzz um, on college radio by the time Lick came out. They did a, a pretty, uh, you know, spot on cover of Luca, uh, the Suzanne Vega song about child abuse. Um, there were songs like Mallow Cup off Lick, too, that, that definitely got some play on, on college radio. But um, we're going to talk about kind of the next phase on this. So... Um, 1992, where uh, we—I was living in New Jersey. You were in New York City or college, college. at that time? College, gotcha. well, sort of a little bit of both, yeah. Yeah, so college in UMass Amherst. Um, I think the Lemonheads had been kind of forgotten, right? It was sort of a band that, like, that yeah, didn't they make were. It. Nah, didn't exactly. That sort of fell apart. Didn't make it. Um, what we sort of like to do on these episodes sometimes is reminisce about the year, and I just have to say. This was probably the best year of music in my life. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, it, you know, looking back, it was like, I was thinking, wow, man, like, not only was it the best music, I was really into music as a teen, and I was 15 years old, and I had been waiting for a year like this. My, you know, you got me into music quite young, and, and I, I look back at 45, going on 46, and I'm like, man, that was a fucking awesome year. And I'm just going to name check some of these and feel free to name yeah. any I, I miss. But. Well, I was just going to say that, you know, 91 is always cited as the year that punk broke. And, uh, you know, I think 92 is the year the levy broke entirely. And yeah, and I would say came out. everything. Like punk, and we'll, I'll name check some bands here. I'm, you know, punk was certainly, uh, you know, opened the door for plenty of our favorites, but... But this is also the year like other bands had just awesome albums, you know, like mm-hmm. um, R.E.M. who who had started to suck at this point, put out their last great album, Automatic for the People, you know, Sonic Youth's Dirty, which was probably one of their last great albums in my mind. Um, Pavement, Slanted Enchanted, you know, a, a absolute classic. Yeah. Beastie Boys reemerged with Check Your Head, which people forget, you know, Ill Communications is always sort of the the benchmark because of the hits, but check your head was where people were like, Oh, I, I remember them, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, they, they had, you know, I mean, they had their, their, you know, license to ill bratty, you know, we get the joke kind of thing. And then they had Paul's boutique, which was like really experimental and amazing, incredible. but nobody liked it at the time, which nobody, nobody liked it in real yeah. time. Except for you and it, your but, friends. <laughs> yeah. But, um, and then check your head. I remember seeing, uh, in my senior year, spring concert i remember seeing them come out and playing their own instruments and it was a great concert it was a midday you know kind of slot that i hate midday outdoors with a you know kind of festival lineup and um they just fucking rocked it and it was it was really it altered my i mean very much the album altered my view of the beastie boys entirely Absolutely. It brought us all back to them. And, and it was a great album. It, it also, funny, because I'm going to go into some other records here, but it also kind of encapsulated 1992 because it really mixed the Beasties' love of Everything. hip-hop, 
punk rock, their roots in punk rock, and you know, and then just sort of out there, jammy kind of you know, funk and soul and. Um, and, you know, speaking of which, we had Dr. Dre's Chronic, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> we had The Far Side, Bizarre Ride of the Far, you know, The Far Side, which are two completely different worlds um, from both the same city, you know, Los Angeles. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Morrissey, who I'm not a huge solo fan, but Your Arsenal is probably the one that I could say I like, like, three or four songs off of solo-wise. Helmet, in the meantime, I remember, you know. I remember Psalm 69, the ministry, ministry. record. Completely blowing my mind because Absolutely. I just didn't know that you could make shit that loud. You know, one of your favorites, Katie Lang's, you know, kind of classic record. Yeah. L7, Bricks Are Heavy, you know, Spiritualized, who we talk a lot about on the show. Laser Guided yeah. Melodies, you know, one of our favorite records. I didn't realize that was that early. Actually, probably, like, if I had to, I don't know. I don't have to and I don't care, but definitely a, a top five forever hip-hop song. Pete Rock, C.L. Smooth's Mecca and the Soul Brother, which contains, you know, they reminisce over you. Like, you know, a song that I is is probably, you know, is close to somebody. It's just one of those perfect hip hop tracks. You know, it's a song you never get sick of. But then on top of that, you had like Los Lobos' Kiko and, you know, and, and just cool, different shit. And, uh, and I, I, I got a great to the, record we should revisit. Yeah. It is a great record, you know, and, and that's what was so cool. Um, Black Crows, again, another classic Southern Harmony, and, and I have no idea if that album stands up, but Remedy certainly does, right? You know, like it's, yeah. it's one of the most ripping songs. And Rage Against the Machines debut album. So, I God, mean, I remember walking into a nightclub, hearing that for the first time in a nightclub, as loud as it could go, and um, just being like, "What the what the hell is this? This is this, I, is the new, this is the next new thing." We I went to high school outside of New York. My group of friends, uh, who you know, Pete and Karam and Andy Bell, all went in to see. Um, this was the actual lineup at the Marquee Club. Do you remember that club in New York City? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. the Marquee. And it yeah. was the headliner was Helmet. The next band was House of Pain, and then the opener was Rage Against the Machine. I remember that tour. And they all the came same... back like, what the f Like, this is the most amazing band ever. Like, nobody talked about anything but Rage Against the Machine. That's <laughs> so funny, because it was the same year, or maybe it was a year after the Smashing famous, Pumpkins, uh, Pearl Jam. The Red Hot Chili Peppers, uh, Pumpkins, Pearl Jam yeah. tour. That, uh, you know, and also... Um, uh, it was the same time, I believe, or maybe a year before, year earlier, or a year before, um, Dino, My Bloody Valentine, and Screaming Trees played as a triple bill, uh, toured as a triple bill, which is, you know, probably the reason I won't be hearing in my Yeah, in my exactly, 70s. the reason I have fuzz going on in my, and you know, I mean, I'm speaking of Alice Chains, Alice in Chains Dirt, which is also another great album, which we saw with Screaming Trees opening up for them at Roseland yeah. that year, you know. Um, you know, Sade's uh, return with Love Deluxe. I mean, it's a, just a really, uh, Stone Temple Pilots core, you know, love it, hate it. It's still a time. And, you know, it's just, what I love about the year is the eclecticness. I mean, you had Sade, Sade coming back with Stone Temple Pilots, Ridge is a Machine, Helmet, and then also on the other side of that, you know, Manic Street Preachers, um, still the old, like, curmudgeons like Bruce Springsteen doing his Human Touch album and, you know, things like that, too. So, and 10,000 buttholes I have written down here, but I think that's supposed to say 10,000 maniacs. Sorry. Um, our Time in Eden, which was a huge hit. You know, at the end of that list, I just wrote, holy shit. Like, I, I remember all of it really well reading it, but I didn't had no idea it all came out that year. P.T. Yeah. Harvey's Dry, too, just to throw another one out there. And wow. uh, Sugar's yeah. Never Blue. Sorry, I could keep going. I'm sure this list could go on forever. Anyways. 
all that is to say, like, the Lemonheads did not stand a chance, right? <laughs> it's like, you know, it's a shame how Ray is from a band that had been, like, largely forgotten, um, you know, the dopey sort think, of... Sorry, go ahead. I think picked up largely on, you know, I almost want to say signed largely because of Evan Dando's charisma in the in the sort of slacker era. Yeah, well, I mean, what happened, and I'll go back, going back to the Lemonheads, is Evan Dando, and for those of you who aren't familiar with the band, Google Evan Dando, he's tall, uh, very pretty, um, long blonde hair usually, uh, plays the, the sort of bimbet, bimbo, whatever you want to call it, um, you know, Himbo, dopey. that's what they called him. Yeah, bimbo, and he, you know, he, he seems himbo. like a guy who you would totally let crash on your couch for a month, you know, and he would sleep with your girlfriend and disappear at some point, you know? Um, <laughs> and he probably has done that to many people. So, um, and may currently still be doing that, but uh, like, you know, he seems likable. I don't know, Evan, I think you've met him once, um, in later years. Um, we know people who have played with him, you know, and, and say that he's, you know, very talented and, and we'll kind of go into that. But like, you know, he, 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 he plays it up a bit. He, he's definitely been with supermodels, things like that. He was easy to hate, you know, in 1992 mm-hmm. where, um, you know, you're coming off of grunge, you're kind of coming off of moody, um, slacker, you know, kind of indie rock and then, you know, hip hop's getting, finally getting its due and, and things like that. So Dando could be a poster boy for just like, ugh, you know, and, and women, he's good looking and he, he's poppy and, and women, you know, he's, he's attractive. So, you know, guys tended to dislike him, um, I had a, a dismiss him. I think more yeah, than dismiss anything. him, and it's kind of dopey. And I definitely had a teen crush. I would say where the Lemonheads kind of they got picked up after Lick, and then they put out an album Lovely, which is actually not a bad album. Um, and it's really where he took over the band. And it you know it's funny going back and kind of revisiting that album. Like Brass Buttons, the Graham Parsons song is on that. And mm-hmm. um, you know, I had no idea that I was introduced to Grant Parsons via the Lemonheads years before I got obsessed with Grant Parsons. You know, it's just stuff like that. Like, he also had an ear for, I think, probably bands like Big Star, definitely Grant Parsons, definitely, you know, um, you know, sort of that that Laurel Canyon, you know, kind of L.A. sound. And also just kind of a really great Midwest kind of crunchy power pop sound, too. And on that album, yeah, I always he had, felt like he th- I, I always felt like he, he was a guy who felt like he was born too late. Definitely. And he kind of carried that over in his look, too, you know? Um, yeah. No, I mean, he, he seems like he was, you know, I mean, you know, the people he idolized, you know, he was very openly idolized Graham Parsons and, and you know, sort of romanticized the lifestyle as well as, um, you know, the sound. Yeah, and he also, you know, like, I mean, this is a friend of, like, you know, hung out with Dino and all bands that we love. It wasn't like they, he was, like, you know, sort of ostracized from this world. He was very much of it. But he definitely, yeah, I mean, he was open drug addict or drug user, partier, um, you know, definitely played it up a bit. And, you know, and he's a big guy. He's tall and, and you know, kind of commanding in a goofy way, you know. Uh, he's somebody who looks like he could have been a model, a basketball player, or, you know, a, a dope addict, <laughs> you know. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I think he was, was all three, actually. Probably all of them, yeah, so... But, um, you know, one thing just to kind of go back to Lovely and, and I'm going to do something here is lyrically, I've, I've never thought of M. Dando as like a, a genius songwriter, but he's he's very good at matching like lyrics with melody. 
and he's very good at the mundane. And I think that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. I was really drawn to it because I was a suburban kid, you know, and mm-hmm. it was something that I could really relate to. And I always thought about that, about the Lemonheads. It was music that I could like, you know, in, in my fantasy of being a musician or a singer or songwriter myself, I felt like I could play the Lemonheads, you know? Well, it's or funny. I, it's I could a, sound like that. It's a perfect, uh, the a perfect sort of lead in, um, uh, unknowingly to, I had mentioned before we came on that I had one point to make during this and, um, you, you set it up beautifully. And that is, um, when I think of Evan Dando's songs, I think his, you know, the great comparison would be Neil Diamond. <laughs> nice. You know, Let's hear it. somebody who writes really simple, really straightforward songs that sound so easy to write but if they were so easy to write, everyone would write them. Yeah, it's a good point. And I think when Evan is at his finest, which it's a shame about Ray, is is definitely his pinnacle. Um, that's what you get. You get kind of a Shiloh, right? <laughs> you know, you get like some songs that are just great. And, and the lyric I was going to read is actually off the album prior, and then I'll get into it. It's a shame about Ray. We'll take a break after and have Damien play a little bit of this. But I mean, the if you take these lyrics on their own, they're just ridiculous, right? So this is... Uh, the lyrics to the song Stove, which is uh, one of the singles off of Lovely, the album before it's Shane Ray. The gas man came, took out the electric stove, helped him carry her. He told me he had been a prize fighter once, shuffled her through and out the door. We walked back in, talked about his boy at UVM, very New England reference there, and began to put the, the new stove in. But I miss my stove. She's all alone. Call it love. She's been replaced. You know, he's literally talking about a stove being replaced. So, Damien, go ahead and pop on Stove from Lovely, and you can hear how uh, Evan Dando is a master at, at melody and the mundane. And then we'll go ahead and do uh, It's a Shame About Ray. So there's a great example of, uh, thanks, Damon, of uh, of Evan, you know, taking that kind of mundane, you know, as Wynn said, Neil Diamond, everyday life, and then putting it into a beautiful pop song. Um, you know, Lovely really captured and fa- he found his kind of place and became the, the band, you know, it, it became Evan Dando's band, but again, found zero fame. And so after a tour of, of Europe and then ending up in Australia, uh, in true Evan Dando fashion, he decided to just stay in Australia and do lots of drugs. Um, mm. And in doing that, he befriended a um, a couple of you know the musicians down in down under, and um, you know basically you know wrote everything. Um, tr- sorry, I'm trying to remember the name. I have it written down here because it was a couple that? guys. What's that? Nick Dalton was one of the guys who ended up later joining the band. And then he wrote, um, basically, it's a shame about Ray in Australia. But um, I was trying to remember who the other who the other guy was, who, who was kind of his, his sort of linchpin for doing that. But I will not hold up the pod by looking through my scratchy notes. But basically, you know, ended up writing this album, which is, I think, comes in definitely under 30 minutes. It's got to be like a 25-minute 
pop album. It has, you know, the longest track is 319, if that gives you any, any you know, thoughts there. It's about 10 songs. Um, comes back to the U.S., um, another, uh, you know, fellow uh, schoolmate of alum schoolmate of yours, Juliana Hatfield, who had just uh, had some buzz with the Blake Babies and was starting off on her solo career. And uh, I think a bartending buddy of yours, too. Is it Dave Ryan? Is that right? Yep. Dave Ryan. I used to bartend with him at the Harvard Club. Yep. And so um, 18. you briefly went to high school with Juliana, uh, ran in circles of, of friends of, of yours and then um ryan became the drummer so at dando who, who you know actually played with the blake babies on and off at times um recruits juliana and and um uh god i just said his name dave ryan to kind of get, get in the studio is it dave or did i say that right dave ryan yeah he dave was ryan. he was uh she lured him away from his uh his career at the time, which was bartending uh, days at the uh, Harvard Club and making donuts overnight at Steve's Donuts <laughs> next to Berkeley. Right. And, you know, it was kind of this like media or, or I guess indie media alternative we used to call it back then, back in that day, back when, you know, turkeys were walking birds. But um, and, you know, Juliana was a heartthrob and kind of a twee and, and had a little bit of a, you know, thing going about being a virgin still in her 20s. And, and Evan and her would play on that. And, you know, they both were good looking, young and, and you know, definitely taking advantage of the media and the press. And they recorded with the Rob Brothers, It's a Shame About Ray, which is, to me, like just one of the most simple, brilliant pop records of its time. It's, you know, all those albums that we named above, have really nothing in common with it's a shame about Ray and it's a shame about Ray is really has nothing in common with them either. And it's not intentional necessarily. It's just like a, a record that came together really perfectly. It's, it's, you know, it's short, it's got, um, you know, lyrics about hanging out, um, flirting, um, doing drugs with your friend, uh, you know, whatever the, the it's a shame about Ray. The actual title track is, based on a headline that was in the, you know, Sydney paper that morning that he wrote about. And it's a, it's a record that, you know, has kind of a, a layered guitar effect um, with Juliana on bass um, and, and providing kind of perfectly, you know, hush backing Muted, vocals. Yeah. yeah. And, and then Dave, you know, Ryan on drums and Evan does a great job of kind of layering acoustic and electric guitars. And, to me at the time, I, you know, wanted to shout from the rafters, like if I could make an album, this is what I would want it to sound like. It's just a great record. And, and, you know, it didn't get a lot of hype. Um, I think the, the popular songs off it, the title track, it's shame about Ray drug buddy, which is, is kind of a song of, of, you know, going and scoring drugs, which has, you know, more mellow, um, you know, were, were the singles off of their confetti I think, and they got I a lot of play on like, was a single. Which one? My Big Gay Heart. That's actually off the next record. So oh, is that sorry? Yeah. And they, they come out actually pretty close to each other. but um, And so is the, the Great Big No. But Turn Pack Down, um, Rock and Stroll. You know, the first three yeah. songs on it are, are really short, Rudderless. concise pop songs that would be on 120 minutes every time you turned it on and never seen anywhere else except for college radio and 120 minutes on, on MTV. So when you were in college in 92... What was kind of your take on this record? I know I liked it right away, and I actually had the first copy before. We'll talk about the the single that brought it to kind of the cover that brought it back into people's. Yeah, well, 
I didn't pay that much attention to it. I was very much mired in my uh, in my slanted and enchanted moment. Um, I really uh, kind of came to it. I mean, I remember it, and I certainly remember liking the, the title track. But it, it was my friend Paul McNamara who was, you know, an absolute devotee. Um, he like he thought that album was perfect, and um, you know, I never quite understood his fascination with it. But it's one of those ones that has been in my life now for 30 years and I've never not wanted to hear it. You know what I mean? It's, it's, uh, it's just become part of, you know, it's, you know, it's a, whatever, it's your most comfortable pair of shoes kind of thing. It's, it's comfort food. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, I, I remember, and then, you know, the, uh, aforementioned cover that you were teasing out. I remember being in New Jersey at home, uh, maybe for uh, vacation or whatever, and seeing the video and being like, that's Dave Ryan. I used to bartend with that guy. Right, I remember um, being, yeah, that was so cool. <laughs> you, knew, you knew a, a rock star. <laughs> Bonafide <laughs> rock star. Yeah. So, yeah, it was kind of funny. And I mean, he was a really good drummer. I knew that. And I kind of think he went to Berkeley, but I can't remember. Um, but he was... Uh, he played with them for know, a while. He, yeah, he played with them for and a he while. He was another then, band, yeah, too. Yeah. Ultimately was replaced by... Murph, who I also knew from, you know, from college and, um, you know, Paul McNamara's recording studio. So uh, I felt like I had a, a kinship with the band that um, was relatively unearned. I didn't really hang around with the band so much as I, they kept hiring people I knew. I think, too, I'd moved from Boston or New England to New Jersey. My best friend at the time had moved into the Dando's old apartment in Boston. <laughs> and, um, That's right. And so, you know, it was sort of this, you know, how can back in the day where you need to differentiate yourself from your current, you know, location. And so Boston was sort of my differentiator, even though I'm not from Boston. Um, and Boston music at the time actually was quite great. It was and hot. So it was it was pretty cool. And um, yeah, and that was something that I could hold hold to. I mean, I personally think, you know, there's not a bad song on the album, but I'm going to throw out my favorites. And then I just want to kind of read a, a quote that that sums it up but actually before we do that the song that we're referring to is is their cover of mrs robinson by simon and garfunkel obviously um and it was at a time that was where, actually ironically for the 25th anniversary of the graduate i was just gonna say yeah and it was it was the first time i'd seen the graduate um and it was vhs it was like a big vhs they were releasing it on Release. vhs for the first time which is it's just got it's going to sound very foreign to, to uh, probably not too many of our, our listeners but some and um christian maybe but like and and that was the video at the end so they re-released it, the album it's a shame about ray and it, it sort of shot up the college charts with this cover and i'll give evan dando a lot of credit he actually has always covered done great covers whether he's done like metal covers he did new kids on the block unironically really you know early on no he gets it he gets the essence of a good song and it's he really does. it's not yeah. that's not uh i've heard him do have a covers that are really good you know that's not surprising given the simplicity of his of his melodicism you know what i mean it's this guy has got that sort of brill building kind of essence of you know songwriting short sweet melodic um and uh again something that everybody thinks they could do so easily that nobody else does you know what i mean it's it's the sort of you know this it's a gift that you know i don't think was i don't think it was that difficult for him no um, i don't he, well and, at least dando from what we know through friends who have played with him 
and his I'm not you know this is uh, hopefully he's doing better and doing well on, on the drug front and it's it's just something that he very much publicizes so I'm not speaking out of turn here saying Evan Dando likes to do a lot of drugs um, you know we've heard from you know I remember hanging out with Murph in Northampton and then saying you know when it was time to like record when it was time to play like that guy just like sobered up did it and was like it was like nothing you know locked in yeah and it's funny I'm you know friends of the pod as well Sean Slade and Paul Coldery who who um, you know recorded a number of their early albums at Fort Apache said because I I was talking we were talking about vocal overdubs or or you know getting a vocal correct and they said the one guy that could always nail it on the first take was Evan Dando. Yeah, which makes a lot of sense, and I mean, and that's the thing about the band too, which I think was easy for people not to take too seriously is it it does sound breezy. It is breezy. It's breezy music, and it's it's not too self serious. It's also. Um, you know, I, I've I've kind of learned some of those songs because I just was listening to this album so much. I was fiddling around on the guitar, and they're really great hooks. You know, like it is somebody who just naturally, obviously, kind of knows how to put that stuff together, or came to him pretty easily. And you know, I mentioned he played drums for the band for a little while, so he's obviously can do multi instruments too. But the songs that I love, if, if anyone's gonna pop it on post, and we'll have Damien play one on the way out. Um, you know, Hannah and Gabba is a really underappreciated song by them. It's an acoustic song that really has kind of that Graham Parsons y feel and shows off his voice. My favorite song is Turnpike Down, and, and that's what I'll have uh, Damien play after I read this quote. But, um, and, you know, and Rudderless. And those are songs that don't get as much attention, but it's, it's a, you know, this is a 25 minute listen, and uh, you will be very happy if you, you know, either if you have listened to it back in the day, didn't love it and want to go back and just check it out because you're uh, you're feeling uh, nostalgic or older and mellower and your uh, hatred of, of pretty rock stars. Or, um, you know, you loved it and you just haven't popped it on in a while. It's a great, you know, you talk about Yola Tango's, you can hear the heartbeat as one is kind of an album you can put on at any time of the day and you sort of concentrate and write. It's a shame about Ray's like that for me when I'm working or doing things like that. But I, um, I found this, you know, kind of funny the album, you know, like we mentioned early on, has, has gotten sort of a reappreciation. Re it never even in real time was that appreciated, just to be clear. I think people liked it. It got buzz, but it wasn't like a critical darling or anything like that. It was sort of like a good album. It was like a three star in Rolling Stone, what would be like a six or seven in Pitchfork today. Um, but Stephen uh, Dausner, is that how you say his name? Dusner, D-E-U-S-N-E-R, Stephen M. Dusner. Desner, whatever, from Pitchfork, uh, went back and, and re-rated it, which they tend to do in 8.3. And uh, I think this quote really sums up in the attitude of 92. Um, couldn't have given a shit about the Lemonheads in 19... And I'm, this is from his uh, his review. Couldn't give a shit about the Lemonheads in 1992 when I was a freshman in college and all the upper-class women were swooning over Evan Dando. For me, his pinup status, de-authenticated music... Deauthenticated his music, which seemed mopey, unsubstantial. He sounded detached, like a stoner at a funeral. And the songs on the Lemonheads' breakout album, "It's a Shame About Ray," were so short, several under two minutes, and the hooks so nonchalant they sounded accidental. All of which suggested a piety of ideas, paucity of, ideas, yeah. of ideas, and his short attention span, reinforced by songs like "Rudderless," which I just mentioned, and "My Drug Buddy." So when Ryan O, and this is a little bit dated, Rhino's new reissue arrived in the mail a few weeks ago, I put in my put it in my early 90s boombox out of pure nostalgia, mildly curious to hear how or if it had aged. 
Since then, I've kept playing it for very different reasons, which are more difficult to pinpoint and hopefully say as much about me as the, the music, sorry, as much say as much about the music as they do about me. Almost 16 years after its initial release, Dando's slacker pop sounds almost zen. These shorts, these, these short songs now seem concise and even disciplined. What was once mopey now plays as something much more complex and contradictory, exuberant pop melancholy, which is, I think, you couldn't say it any better, really. No, minus that's a my free love word. of it initially. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, exuberant pop melancholy is a great uh, explainer, a great, uh, you know, explanation, or, you know, that's, I, I think it's a genre that he owns. Definitely. And I, uh, I, I uh, am very happy to uh, have this record again, you know, for the millionth time in my collection um, with, you know, unnecessary live and demos and all this other stuff that I, I will listen to and I do love. I feel uh, I, I can definitely geek out. I'm, I'm, I'm a super fan of It's a Shame About Ray. I'm not ashamed about it anymore. Thank you, Ray. And um, yeah, it's fun to talk about. So thanks for letting me kind of go off on this one. Yeah, we'll just uh, we'll call this episode Not Ashamed About Ray. There we go. And uh, yeah, Damien, pop on um, Turnpike Down, and then Wynn and I will come back and end this out as we always do. Brother, brother, brother podcast. Uh, we are going to end this one as we end every episode with this surprise question. Jeremy, <laughs> what are you listening to? Oh man, um, I've like added some things since I thought about it, but I'm going to go back to what I originally wanted to talk about, which was the um, the sort of, uh, I guess, is it David Simon who did Wire? I'm like, yeah, completely. I'm coming off COVID, people, so just note that I'm a little foggy today. But, Actually, um, I'm not even. I mean, to to excuse you or to excuse you further, you're not even coming off COVID. You still have it. I still have it. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but this is uh, planning hurt. We own the city. The the story of the Baltimore, you know, um, the gun squad that was completely corrupt. Um, I burned through it uh, pre getting COVID and loved every minute of it. It was a show that I was, you know, it's very hard to kind of, you when the wire is in your, your canon, it's something that, you know, expectations are high. And um, I feel like I kind of walked into it with without a lot of expectation of it being any good and, and came out of it thinking it was, uh, you know, 
really worthy of, of uh, talking about and, and telling people to watch because I, I loved it and I know you, you felt the same. It's a great story. It's really well acted. It nails Baltimore if, if you have any experience there and it's uh, it's just a fucked up story that's really well done. Go is. I um yeah, yeah I, I the Emmy nominations came out yesterday and and I hope that we own the city was not didn't qualify because of timing or something because I can't believe John Bernthal um wasn't nominated if he was eligible I didn't even was, notice because I've been sick and that sucks if this. he wasn't yeah he was amazing he owned it He's a, he did own it <laughs> um but yeah I I I will um second that motion and um say that i uh i watched it about a month and a half ago and i'm very likely going to watch it again because i liked it that much and um my uh my uh anything else you're listening to jer uh no i'm gonna stick with that one because my my covid fog is uh not allowing me to remember anything else okay even though there is other things i just i don't want to ramble on so go for it um, mine is a slightly newer release, more television though. Uh, this is going to hurt, uh, which is a, uh, British show about a, uh, sort of upper class doctor working, um, intentionally working in a national health service OBGYN department. Um, Ben Wishaw is the lead. He's phenomenal. The show is phenomenal. I will warn people strongly that if you don't have a stomach for medical gore, um, this is one of the most graphic shows I've ever seen. Um, up there with the Nick, but also up there with the Nick in terms of quality. And the writing is phenomenal. Um, it is called This Is Going to Hurt. I believe it is on AMC Plus, which is also Sundance. Um, you know, in this world of, of uh, mergers and acquisitions, weekly mergers and acquisitions in the uh, um, streaming department. Uh, I'm also watching The Old Man, which is a Fox, or I'm sorry, a, an FX production that's on Hulu. So uh, I don't know follow the bouncing yeah, streaming service. But uh, Jeff Bridges, as uh, I had a friend over yesterday, my friend James Modern was over yesterday, and we were talking. He said next year the the you know the tag for every actor is going to be like to their agent is going to be uh, get me my get me in uh, the old man. Where's my <laughs> the old man? Um, you know it's going to because there's just a ton of actors in that generation that are are starting to crest into. I mean, with the exception of Tom Cruise, of course, starting to crest into their sixties. I mean, people that we grew up, you know, as teen actors with you know john cusack's of the world and people like that are, are you know pushing ever closer to 60 years old and um each one of them is going to want their own the old man um which is a, a very fun show about you know it's a thriller about a you know some cia um you know convoluted bullshit but uh <laughs> to be honest with you it's just worth watching to, to watch uh john lithgow and i was gonna say and, you're two old men in it it's great yeah, John Lithgow and Jeff Bridges just sparring is, is worth the price of admission. The other recommendations I'm going to make, and I will make these very short, but Angel Olsen's Big Time, an album that I think we talked about on the What Are You Listening To episode a couple months ago, but I'm not sure oh, yeah. it was out no, yet. No, I don't think we did. It wasn't out yet. And the other is 
kind of in the same genre. Uh, Kevin Morby's new This is a Photograph. I've known of Kevin Morby for a long time. I think I've seen him a handful of times. He's never really registered that much to me. And this record, I think, is a, a sort of a quantum leap forward in the same way that I think Hooray for the Riff Raffs album was a quantum leap forward this year. Um, Kevin Morby's This is a Photograph. Really, really good listen. Yeah, thanks for name-checking both those, because those are both on my list, and I couldn't get my brain around talking about them, so they are both excellent, so uh, two thumbs up over here, too, as well, for those. So, uh, when? What do you want to put on the uh, 10 million and 1.5 best songs ever? Uh, I'm going to kick it over to you. Oh, yeah. Um I just kind of thought of this one on the fly, and I'm kind of glad I did. Um, I'm going to go with the Hold Steady, and I'm going to go with Stuck Between Stations. Nice. That's not on there already? That's crazy. No, you say that a lot. There's a lot that's not on there. You know what I'm going to do, just because you brought it up, and it deserves a revisitation. I'm going to go with uh, the Black Crow's Remedy. Nice. (laughs) It's a great song. See if it stands up. I have no idea if it will. But uh, I think I that remember... opening, that opening crashing riff has to stand up. There's no way. Yeah, I just, I just remember that thinking in 1992. I remember being in Concord and hearing that Concord Mass and and hearing that song and thinking like this is the best put together, just ripping rock song I've heard in forever. Yeah, this is um, the best Sticky Fingers cover. Yeah, know, exactly. That I've like. This is the best Faces hear, right? song I've ever heard. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But they did it, you know, unabashedly well. It's a, it's a, I, I still think I, and I'm psyched to hear it again. Thanks for putting it on because I, I love Remedy. It's a great song. All right. Well, All right. until the next time, just chill right. to the next episode. Sounds good. I'm going to go back to bed and uh, recover. All right. But um, thanks. All right. Talk Bye. later. I'm Wyndham Lewis. On behalf of my brothers, Jeremy Sartori and Christian Lewis, thank you very much for listening to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Many thanks also to our heroic producer, Damian Kendall and to Simon Doom for our epic intro music. Learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com, follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks again for listening.